Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Did poltergeists really attack a tiny house in Bridgeport, Connecticut in November 1974? How reliable are eyewitnesses? What is a poltergeist anyway? Hey there, and welcome to the 509th edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. I am Ben, and those varied questions came from my co-host and partner in the paranormal, my dad. And this evening we bring you an especially interesting show with an author's, uh, with an author, not authors, huh, with an author who's writing a book about a uh, case to which my dad is one of the few surviving witnesses. And uh, contrary to popular belief, we do welcome uh, phone calls, and the uh, number is locally 401-766-1240, and from anywhere in the U.S. or Canada, it is 800-449-1240. So let us get going. Bill Hall was born and raised in Bridgeport, Connecticut, and saw reports about what I call the Bridgeport poltergeist outbreak on television when he was 10 years old. Also known as the Lindley Street Haunting, it became the talk of the city and much of the world for years to come. Bill is a magician experienced in researching the unexplained, from folklore and urban legend to fortune-telling, the pyramids, and much more. His syndicated 1990s column, Magic and the Unknown, ran for six years in multiple local papers in his home state. He is a member of the American the Society of American Magicians Psychic Investigation Committee, and uh, Bill's bio says uh, Bill has vast experience in how one could haunt their house, as well as experience in how a false psychic could wow even the most sophisticated of spectators. The true haunting of 966 Lindley Street in Bridgeport, Connecticut, was one paranormal incident that stuck in his mind. After peeling back the layers and obtaining more evidence than ever before, there finally is adequate information to find out what really happened at Lindley Street, unquote. Bill's website, www.966lindleystreet.com. So, Bill Hall, welcome to Behind the Paranormal. Thank you. It's great to be here. Oh, it's great to have you with us. So, Bill, I've heard about this uh, case from my dad all my life, throughout all the talks, whatever. It's the one that most stuck out to me. So can you give us a quick overview for people who don't know? Well, it's uh, it involves a uh, tiny home in uh, downtown Bridgeport, Connecticut, near the hospital, 738 square feet, so tiny little home with a couple that you never would have heard of if it wasn't for this. Um, it was Jerry Gooden, who was a maintenance worker, and uh, his wife, Laura, and uh, they had a little girl, uh, Marcia, who was uh, 10 years old at the time. Um, to, uh, to, give you some, uh, to give you a real quick rundown on it, they started uh, experiencing uh, banging sounds on the inside and outsides of the walls uh, back in November of uh, late October, early November 1971 was the very first occurrence of it and uh, they complained about it to the to the police uh, there were numerous things going on uh, 71 and 72 at the same time when these bangings occurred both in in that same period of time around November and uh, they thought it might be uh, there was some construction going on at the hospital in addition there was a uh, uh, a new route being put up on the highway, so there was uh, explosions going on. Uh, there was people, developers, trying to put a condominium ne- in next door, uh, so they thought it may be them because they were trying to stop that. Uh, there were all sorts of things, and they had all sorts of people in there, and they just couldn't figure out what this was all from. And uh, then in November 
of 74, and, and there's some, as, as your dad knows, <laughs> yeah. Paul, as you know, there's some other things that happen in there, but to yeah, give just you, a few, yeah. Yeah, to give you, <laughs> give you a quick overview, November of 74 is when it really broke out, when the public became aware of it and at the height of the activity, uh, and there was, uh, Noises, audio phenomena, there was, uh, uh, things floating, things flying across the room, uh, misty figures, and, um, and, and a lot of attacks against, uh, religious articles, which, uh, which some would think, uh, like, uh, Ed and Lorraine Warren at the time were, uh, signs of it being demonic, and, and others would think it's really, um, it, you know, it, it really isn't as much of a, um, uh, concentration. Uh, there were about 93 logged incidents uh, in all. There probably were more than actually took place, but witnesses <clears throat> uh, gathered up about 93 incidents. And what was very interesting about this case is um, it, it was like old school social media. I mean, it really rippled around the world. And as far as Australia, Israel, and uh, there was a crowd of thousands of people outside. Um, numbers vary depending on which paper you read and who you ask, but it's pretty certain that there were over 2,000. And uh, the uh, witnesses involved uh, probably about 60-70% of the police department as well as uh, about 12 firemen, uh, two fire chiefs, lieutenants, captains of the police department, as well as witnesses, neighbors, extended family, reporters, uh, and Paulino. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. <laughs> um, and so uh, then after a few days, uh, they brought an inspector in and claimed it was a, uh, a hoax uh, caused by Marcia. Um, and and that's, that's a very basic overview. Um, and then we can take it in whatever direction we'd like to from there, depending on uh, what you think's best. Well, uh, just just we're still just sticking with some uh, um, what's what's a good word? Some uh, surface questions before we uh, hit the button to dive deeper into this ocean here. Uh, how did you track down all this information? <clears throat> well, I uh, it, it's very funny. It started with a Facebook post in. Um, one of these groups of, you know, did you grow up in Bridgeport or I, I grew up in Bridgeport in the 70s and 80s. And uh, and so we got, I got a post that said, uh, does anybody remember the haunting on Lindley Street? And it occurred to me that that was a case throughout uh, my magic in the unknown days and, and research and writing days that I never really looked into. And uh, so I started reading online a few newspapers about it. And uh, soon I was really uh, taken by it because it sounded it, it sounded too too complex to be explained as, as simply as uh, uh, of saying that that Marcy did it. Um, so, but from newspapers you couldn't really reach a conclusion. Obviously, it left more questions than answered. Answers. So I went through the uh, the newspapers and literally wrote out every name I every name and title that I saw, and started uh, dialing for data. And uh, ended up finding uh, Boyce Beatty, who uh, was the main investigator, one of the main investigators in uh, in a uh, a real in depth 
investigation that took place right after the hoax story and everything died down actually took took started December 18th so it's that kind of time frame two weeks uh, two weeks going to you know the first of the year and and um, they stayed at the home and went to the police department etc so um, so I called I found boys found that he was still in the same town and called him up and uh, he uh, I said you know I'd like to interview you I didn't really know where I was going with it yet but I figured let me let me get some interviews and see uh, where we can go from there, and I started interviewing Boyce, and and uh, and he mentioned he, he's talking about these uh, models of the home and all these witnesses and these interviews, and and all of a sudden, I, you know, I have to interrupt him, and I'm like, well, Boyce, where where are all these tapes and and interviews and data, and well, they're in a box in my basement, <laughs> <laughs> and that's how it started. Um, I said, "Could I see him?" He's like, "Sure," and you know, of course, he was thrilled. Someone was uh, was interested in uh, in that case, and uh, he uh, wonderful man. He invited me over his house and gave me a slideshow presentation and let me read some of his uh, reports while he read the newspaper, and then afterwards we were ready to talk, and that's how it started. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. So, were there any scientific? I say that. Um in quotes, uh, scientific investigations. Uh, it was just by it was by Boyce, um, who was uh, uh, on the on the psychic and paranormal investigating side, and, and two gentlemen from uh, Duke University. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Jerry Sultan and um, Blue Harari or Keith Harari. Keith Harari. Yeah, I knew them. Uh, yeah, yeah. Good, good people. Um, I did speak to Jerry. I had a follow-up interview with Jerry, which was which was uh, really amazing. Um, and the um, Bill Roll, by the way, interesting note: Bill Roll was actually going to be an investigator uh, for the Lindley Street case, but he was away in England at the time. I remember that too. Yeah, yeah. So he sent uh, he sent Jerry and uh, and you know and Blue in his place. But there, there was no uh, outside of those three. No, what was scientific about it? Not only the way they went about the investigation, but they did administer some uh, psychological tests on the family members. A variety of them, some that are still used today, some we no longer use as mm-hmm. those things. But um, Boyce, uh, he has a number of uh, certifications. I, I couldn't tell you exactly. I know uh, hypnotherapy and. and uh, some other things. He's uh, he's quite a smart guy. Oh, yes. Princeton grad, you know. So, well, uh, oh, okay. Yeah, over, uh, well, I remember. Now. Okay, I remember uh, Jerry Soffin uh, wrote to me and said that uh, they never even wrote an in-house report on the case. They just couldn't reach any conclusions. Yeah, that was quite shocking uh, to Boyce. Um, Boyce said that he, uh, he he was really shocked and, and, and a little saddened by that. Um, so was I, I. I didn't I didn't know Jerry saw it. Uh, I didn't know Jerry said it. In other words, um, but I read that in the paper. Yeah. And I said, Boyce, they said that you guys you know had conflicting reports and didn't even do. And he's like, What are you talking about? He's like, It was presented. The report was presented, and and here's my findings. 
And, you know, he, he gave me this multi-page report, which I'm going to reproduce and put in the book, as a matter of fact. And, and he's like, that's, that's not true at all. Well, and I'd I like to see that because I have a copy of his letter. I still have the original letter, as a matter of fact. But uh, oh. you know, maybe they decided later on to uh, to do something with it. Yeah, but, uh, no, yeah. and uh, in talking to Jerry too, there was no question in his mind that it was, uh, uh, you know, that it was uh, real. Uh, especially since the police department uh, mandated that their police officers be interviewed. I mean, Jerry yeah. himself was, uh, uh, yeah, very instrumental in that. So yeah, I'm surprised uh, surprised at that. Uh, and Boyce was uh, was also, but. Uh, yeah, they definitely reached a conclusion, but I, I do think what was misinterpreted by the newspapers is Boyce was writing from a scientific perspective of a paranormal investigator, and he said in there that there were some incidents that were faked by Marcy. And in saying that, I think the newspaper saw it and said, oh, well, so they can't make any conclusion. Some are real and some are fake. Because Boyce was writing it as if you understand the dynamics of poltergeists and children, et cetera, in these cases. He was writing it really from a, a much more knowledgeable viewpoint. And that letter that he gave the newspaper, uh, they didn't interpret it that way. And, you know, why would they? they? They didn't really, I don't think they understood it. So when it came out in the newspaper, they said that, uh, you know, they couldn't reach a conclusion. Yeah. Well, I remember only on one occasion, because Mar- my job was to watch Marcy for those three days and make sure she wasn't doing anything. And at one t- one point, she pushed a chair in the living room. I suppose a little kid, gee, maybe it'll keep moving. You know? But uh, everybody in the room jumped on her. Marcy, don't do that. <laughs> so, Yeah, uh, and it, it's a great uh, point you bring up, Paul, because uh, when people say, oh, Marcy had the family, everybody fooled, through all these interviews, whenever they, whenever there was an incident brought up that pe- that w- was known that Marcy did, it didn't fool anybody. Exactly. So, oh, she was she was dancing around, threw coats on her head. Yeah, we knew that was her. Yeah, I mean, come on, you know. <laughs> well, the idea that, and I wrote this in my own book that that the idea that the, in this tiny house you could have a little kid. Throwing around huge pieces of furniture, doing stuff in front of, of trained police officers, firefighters, and investigators, you know, clergy, the the press. It's the most ridiculous thing I ever heard in a life of hearing many ridiculous things. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. It's and and it's all in the delivery. I mean, when you read it in the newspaper, um, as a person reading the paper. Um, once you hear the hoax announcement, you would go on your business and say, okay, well, they said the refrigerator floated. It probably didn't actually float. You know? Sure it did. I saw it myself. Right. But I'm saying to an observer, you know, to someone Oh, I just, see. Sure. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, the, the devil's in the details. Excuse yes. The pun. Especially in this it, case. Uh, yeah. and, and that's what interested me because as a magician, I'm reading this and say, okay, well, you said it did this. That's your perception of what happened. What actually happened? Mm. It may be more fantastic what happened, or it could be normal. You know, without knowing the details, it's really hard to tell. But in hearing these interviews, uh, I mean, these guys were amazing. Uh, you know, they didn't see a refrigerator float and run away. The the police instead ran to the refrigerator and tilted it, and one ran downstairs to check the ceiling. I mean, they weren't idiots. 
they they were uh, they actually did an amazing job. Everybody, I think, in that case, uh, did a great job. Well, I remember Officer, I believe it was Lawson, uh, saw this thing, a refrigerator thing, and he, and he backed out of the house, backed down the sidewalk, and sat in the cruiser. Yes. It wouldn't come out. Um, in 1998, when I wrote the book in which I recount the case from my perspective, I was at a book signing in Warwick, Rhode Island, and a woman came up to me and said that her father had been a firefighter in Bridgeport at the time, had been to this house, and that they couldn't find him for three days. Blair, I told you this in our private interview. Yeah. Oh. And he was uh, apparently in the apartment above their garage and was too frightened to come, to come out. So uh, yeah. this did have a profound effect, and they certainly would not have forgotten it. Yeah, yeah, it was... Uh uh, one one police officer uh, said it was uh, either the B or the B, uh, the bar or the blessing. You right. Know, when you left, well, when you left that house, you either went to the bar or you went to get blessed. That's right. <laughs> one or the other. But uh, and so, so I would say most people uh, were um, didn't react the way you would imagine in in like a horror movie. Mm. Uh, and, and of course, Paul, with your experience and, and Ben too. Now, you, you, I mean, you guys probably know that it's that it's much different and and a much more of a, a varied uh, response uh, to the unknown than what you know we see on TV and in the movies. Oh sure, yeah. You know, people go to try to understand. They don't run away. Um, occasionally, they do. You know, like in the case where uh, you know where uh, Leroy almost got uh, uh, got hit by a picture too, and and you know finally. He's like you said, he, you know, he gets up and he says, that's it, I'm out of here. Yeah, he back, yeah. yeah, he backs himself out and locks himself in the patrol car. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, not, but, not to laugh at the poor man. I mean, these things can be pretty shocking to your yeah. to your paradigm, you know. Oh, so, yeah, I'm, I'm surprised. Well, there were some policemen that wouldn't even go in the house that said you can have my right. job or yeah. <laughs> you can have my job before you yeah. know, I get in there. Um, so. Uh, so, Bill, I wanted to ask you, uh, when we talked to you, the... Uh, Probably the, one of the prime eyewitnesses was uh, Marcia Gooden, who was 10 years old at the time. She'd be 49 now. Have you had any luck in finding her? Um, or, or do you want to talk about that? Um, no, we could. It's it's uh, the reason I hesitate is it's a, a yes and no. I think I've I think I brought it as 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 far as I could. Uh, you know, we do know she's not in the United States. Oh, she's not. Um, no. Her family. I was lucky enough to come across uh, some of her family that was uh, that was willing to talk. That said, that they do know many years ago that she went back to uh, Canada. Oh, yeah, she was from Canada originally. Yeah, right, it right. So I mean, that's yeah. what everybody thought, and that seemed. To, but you know, where she is now, uh, you know, that we don't know. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I was actually going to ask that, and then oh, yeah, then you beat me to it. Well, as everybody, you know, I mean, this is this case is, is has whiskers. I mean, it's it's a long time ago. Um, Ed Warren's passed away. Father Bill Charbonneau, the priest who was working with us, has passed away. Um, certainly, um, uh, Marcy can't be located. The, both the Gooden parents uh, are no longer with us. So this really just in that particular group, Lorraine Warren and myself. Right. Um, there are. It's amazing. There's there's a lot of people that have come forth. Um, for you know, Captain Fabrizi, one of the, one of the gentlemen. Oh uh, yeah, you know, one of the police officers that said you know it's a hoax. Um, you know, his I interviewed his nephew, so um, 
and and you get to hear behind the scenes you know what they're what they're saying about this um a, a very a son of a doctor who was very close friends uh growing up with uh superintendent walsh i interviewed so um you know if you can't get them the children or family members sometimes will uh tell you bits and pieces of what they know and it makes for uh, a very interesting uh story um but just to answer the question the the uh uh, the, the nephew of uh, Fabrizi said they used to ask him all the time at family get-togethers. You know, mm-hmm. you know, uncle, uncle, come on, what happened on Lindley Street? Yeah, right. Well, <laughs> and, Bill, uh, you know, another thing I wanted to ask you was uh, as, as a as a trained almost uh, you make me think of Houdini in a way who went around exposing psychics and mediums and things. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, as a trained observer of hoaxes, what convinced you that this case was real? Um. It, it was it was quite a journey from uh, being a suspect uh, to to real. Um, I wasn't going to be convinced until I heard from every witness, and until I heard from the police officers that exposed, uh, you know, Marcy. Mm-hmm. Um, what really convinced me was the the float the the amount of witnesses in conjunction with the nature of the phenomena, and then wrapped around it, I guess, and, and I don't mean this to be a cop-out answer, but it really had to be the totality of the, uh, of the evidence. Sure. Because I can make a picture fall off the wall. Um, and I might be able to make the cross pull itself out from the wall, but that would be difficult. And it gets to a point... You know, there's that tipping point where you say to yourself, why would I try to make a refrigerator float? I don't need to. You know, if I wanted to haunt a house, why would I make, why, why would I make that thing float? Sure. Be- because mm-hmm. it's either got to be a fake refrigerator or I, ha- or I need hydraulics. Mm-hmm. And it's a small house and I already made other things happen. Why am I doing this? So, you know, logically, there comes a point when there are, when it's so much harder to explain it as a hoax than it is to explain it uh that it's real but it takes quite a lot of that evidence for Mm -hmm. me i mean i'm uh i'm i'm open-minded but it's really tough to convince me i mean the things that i've seen possible uh with trickery is it, it just blows your mind and you've probably seen some of them too sure well, if I can just read, uh, now you also interviewed Patrolman Joseph, Joseph uh, Tomek, uh, whom I was in touch with after this, my 1998 book, Faces at the Window, came out that recounts this case, at least from my point of view. Yeah. Um, if I can just quote a little bit of what he said in his report, which is dated uh, November, just suspicious act, uh, 24 November 1974, suspicious activity. Um, while conducting the initial investigation, Patrolman Joseph Tomek, Carl Lianzi, George Wilson, and Leroy Lawson observed one or more of the following happen. The refrigerator rise approximately six inches off the floor. A 21-inch portable television set in the living room rise off a table and turn around. Furniture move away from wall and fall over. Objects on shelves and hanging from the wall start vibrating. Also observed the lounge chair that Marcia was sitting in move rapidly backwards and overturn. When officers at the scene tried to move the chair, they did so with great difficulty. And it's a much longer report, but I'm sure you've seen all that. Uh, you, yeah. um, actually, why don't we take a break at this point, and uh, we can come back and talk about 
perhaps Patrolman Tomek's uh, interview with you and uh, some others as well. You're listening Great. to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on WOON 1240 in New England's beautiful Blackstone River Valley. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Russ Gorman. When I first started doing my show, a program director with a mischievous sense of humor started a rumor that I did the show in the nude. Not true! But you'll get the naked truth and an astrological chart that I do for you. I uncover every aspect of your life, helping you to strip away your problems and give you insight to your future. If you're seeking the real skinny for this exciting year, call me for information on getting your individual chart or update done at 401-333-4048 and get your free lucky numbers for the entire year. Don't come home from a casino in a barrel. From the top to the bottom of every page will bear the facts about you and your future. Call me at 401-333-4048 for a real eye-opener. I'm also available for speaking engagements for your club or groups and for private parties. Well, we just wanted to tell you about two charities that of the several Ben and I have adopted. You can find on BehindTheParanormal.com, our show website, to all of them. But particularly, USACares.org. USACares provides financial and uh, all sorts of assistance in that realm to veterans and their families, particularly families of veterans who have been lost in, in the combat in the past, uh, since, since 2011. I should say t- since uh, September 11, 2001, in the war on terror. And uh, we encourage you to check that out and to, uh, to make a contribution to them because they do a lot of good things. Uh, it's usacares.org. Also, Canadian Veterans Advocacy, our friend Mike Blaze up in Ontario has founded that. Does a lot of legal advocacy for Canadian veterans as well, who, as you know, have been by our side in Afghanistan since the beginning and are doing a lot of great work there as well. So check those out, CanadianVeteransAdvocacy.org and usacares.org. And I want to give you our phone numbers again. Uh, people always say, well, I would have called in if you'd given the phone number. But anyway, it's 401-766-1240 locally. And from anywhere in the U.S. or Canada, 800-449-1240. Let's get back to our interview with Bill Hall, who is writing a book on the Bridgeport, Connecticut poltergeist case, Lindley Street case of 1974 in Bridgeport. So uh, we just quoted before the break, Bill, a uh, police report from uh, Patrolman Joseph Tomek, whom I met, of course, on site. And uh, when you talked to him, how were you received? What was his reaction? Does he still remember? Oh yes, he remembers. <laughs> yeah, I would think so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It uh, it w- actually was quite funny. The first thing he says is, "How'd you get my number? You know, who yeah. are you? What? <laughs> you know?" Uh, he he went into police officer mode. Um, yeah. He uh, he's been wonderful. Uh, at first, he was apprehensive about talking about it. He he wanted to check with his his fellow officers, and uh, so he mentioned uh, you know a few names, and I said, "Well, this one is." You know, deceased, and I'm sorry, this one's deceased too. And he and he said, "Well, I, I better tell you the whole story then, because you know I, I don't want this to go to the grave." And he revealed um, all the things he didn't put in the police report. Interestingly enough, though, he had mentioned I think the second time I talked, I'm talked to him a few times. And uh, what's nice about these interviews is is it really is a give and take because everybody has seen a piece. You know, they, they, they're a witness to a piece of it, and they have a lot of questions about the other pieces. Yeah, you know, as, like, as did I. I. You know, there were many things you mentioned that I hadn't heard of before. 
Yeah, and and unfortunately, because you've been so good to me, I'm, I'm going to have to give you a book, and so that's one less sale. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so you know, Joe didn't know who these people were. He goes, I don't know who these people were, but they they had a lot of funding. There's a lot of paper, and uh, you know, I was forced to inter. And, you know, I didn't have a choice to interview. All of us were marched in there. We had to be interviewed. We had no choice, and. Um, and that was neat because then later when I talked to Jerry Sulfin, he told me from the other side, and then I was able to tell Joe, you know, how, how it connected. So mm. I'm, I'm hoping that, um, and some people have said, thank you, this is, um, this is kind of cleansed the air for me. So that's, uh, that's, that's a good feeling. And, and they all add a little something to it. But getting back to Joe about the second phone call, he said, uh, I still have the original police report, he said. And uh, I said, "Wow, could I, you know, could I have a copy of it?" And he's like, oh, "I don't know, you know, maybe I'll send a copy to you." <laughs> so weeks go by. I figured, you know, I'm never going to get a copy of this report. And one day I get the mail, and there it is. And of course, I'm feeling like I'm 10 years old again, you know, because mm-hmm. there it is. I see Joe Tomic, and and there's a letter, and I know what it is. And he sent me the original long form, three page police report, uh, which you know consists of. Uh, the whole story, and uh, he was very smart the way he did the report because he said they saw one or more of the following. I, I had asked him, well, why why weren't you more specific as to who saw what? Because it read a little, you know, ambiguous. Mm-hmm. And he said, well, I needed to do that in case we had to be a witness in the future. I wanted to make sure that somebody didn't bring this police report out and use it against us. And say, oh well, Joe Tomic said he saw a refrigerator float, so you know, can't yeah. go by what he says. So he didn't specify who saw what in order to protect the officers. So it was very interesting the psychology behind, uh, you know, why it was done in that way. Yeah, true. Who else have you who have you interviewed lately besides me? Um, that uh, a the daughter of the. Holsworth uh, family. Oh, yeah, they were uh, across the street, as I recall. Yeah. Yes. And uh, she was actually there at the time, and this is interesting because I, when I was listening to the interviews, they briefly mentioned her name. Uh, I don't want to give her name because I don't have a release from her yet, although she says she's fine with it, but, out, you know, out of respect, I don't want to. But, um, And they mentioned her very quickly, like she was in the background, and they're like, well, you saw it too, didn't you? It was the TV floating down. And she says, yes. And so I'm listening to this interview about the third time. It's like all I did with my time. And uh, and I hear her back there, and I'm like, oh, my God. She's in high school then. I can call her. So I I called her and interviewed her. Uh, A very interesting interview was with the... um, the Gooden's lawyer at hmm. the time. There were all these rumors that, uh, you know, the Warrens were billed for phone calls. And oh, the right. Warrens... That's, that's, that's true, actually, from what I was told by Ed. Um, yeah, that's interesting, because uh, this, this guy doesn't uh, remember it. Um, he said that he... Um, they also said that they billed the, the, the warrants for broken furniture and stuff, which was, you know, uh, the attorney said that's not true at all. Mm. Um, <clears throat> the attorney said that, he, you know, and he was very young at the time, 
and he said he was very, you know, money hungry. You know, he was aggressive. He was a young attorney, and he had uh, a lot of different ways that the Goodens could make a lot of money off of this. Mm-hmm. And he was very disappointed because they wanted no part of it. And he said, you know, then against my guidance, they go on WNAB and do a free interview. So uh, that was interesting to me. And, and, you know, of course, led credence to the whole thing because yeah. I interviewed him, you know, earlier. But uh, Yeah, then I wouldn't have turned into the Amityville Horror or whatever. <laughs> right. Yeah, 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 right. Yeah. Well, I think that one of the reasons that, I mean, the, the, as far as the Duke University Parapsychology Laboratory at the time, uh, which would involve Jerry Salfin and uh, Keith Harari then, uh, there, there was a certain taint to the Warrens. Uh, they were not considered scientific, and they were considered somewhat because of show, showman-like things of this kind. Yeah. And uh, you know, that's not entirely unjustified, but you know, th- that would have transferred to me uh, at the time. So maybe that's why you know Jerry wasn't forthcoming with all the information. But be that as it may, um, I, I just I just think it's it's really amazing that you've managed to bring all this all this together. Um, can you tell me, uh, well, why don't we talk about, have you talked to anybody from the press who was there? Yes, uh, John uh, Sopko. John Sopko, I remember him, yeah. Yeah, I talked to I talked to him. Um, I talked to the electrical inspector. Okay. Um, and so that was interesting, because there's, there's just one of those people that was inside the house and that you didn't, you know, you wouldn't know of. Um and uh, I've tried to make contact with uh, Tim Quinn and Bob Pantano. Um, haven't heard back from them yet. I'm hoping that they uh, that they do uh, re- return. <clears throat> and there's a few people from CBS, and I'm still uh, yeah, I have calls out to. But uh, oh. John John Sopko is the the you know the big one. Yeah. Have you been to the house uh, lately? Is it even still there? Oh yeah, the house is there. Um, you know, my dad's in Bridgeport, so I'm down there every week. Oh, well. um, not necessarily at the house, but, <laughs> <you know. laughs> yeah. but uh, the house is, uh, it, it's, it's got an old rusty chain around the fence, and it, it looks like uh, no one is living in it. It had the same owner since 1998, and so I don't know if, you know, the lady's very old and locks it for security or if it's rented out now and, and she's in a nursing home or, or moved out and bought a house actually uh her herself i don't think is very old but i i heard that maybe it was rented to an old couple or something but uh it doesn't look like it's inhabited now i did make phone calls and send letters and haven't had a response i i, I really want to have the book uh, launch there uh <laughs> wow that'd be great yeah, yeah, yeah. great publicity <laughs> there's no room uh, right, yeah, there's no room, so th- what I figured is uh, if it's a warm enough night, see, we could recreate the crowd scene, so, oh, you know. You need a lot of people. <laughs> well, I remember John Sopko of the Bridgeport Post was was in the house on Monday night when all this went down with the uh, some of the strangest stuff I saw when I had my sort of physical encounter with one of these entities, because I, I just, I went in there, this was the first major poltergeist case that I had seen. And I went in there with the idea that this was what people said it was, that there was an agent, you know, the child in this case, that uh, the energy was building up and these things were being caused by that. But I felt entities. I felt personalities. I felt alien beings, not, not in the space sense, but in the sense of not human. And I, I, I don't know, Ed and Lorraine Warren took me seriously to a point 
and uh, you know my opinions were welcome, but you know thank you for your opinion. You know, um, to them it, they were demons, and my theological right. training said the same thing. But it, there was just something that wasn't right. And we talked about this in our private interview, and I've talked about it on the show many times. But John, John was there, and he saw this whole thing. And uh, he was one of the people we, the, we I pulled him out of the house because the Warrens weren't there at the time. It was just myself and John and the family and a neighbor who was uh, also their babysitter from time to time. So I pulled them all out of the house because the energy was just getting energy was just getting so strong. And one of the weirdest incidents of the whole case was Gooden, uh, Jerry Gooden, in the kitchen when I said there was something you could see almost a gauzy, you know, cloud in the kitchen. And he went, and he starts singing in Latin in a beautiful bass voice. It sounded like something to me from the funeral mass. Now, this guy, as you say, was a maintenance worker. He'd been an altar boy, but no, no, no altar boy picks up that kind of Latin. He just sort of memorized the, at the time, the old mass, as they called, which uh, itself had um, not been around for over ten years at that point. So it was that was one of the strangest things, and and. It, I've seen this happen before. People sort of change personalities spontaneously and will say things in, in languages they don't know, and it's not necessarily any kind of possession or anything of that sort, but it's just one of the strangest phenomena. And I have explanations for it, I think, or possible explanations. I don't want to get into them here, but that was one of the weirdest instances of the case. Did John uh, mention that at all? Um, yes, he did. He um what you know there were a lot of witnesses to uh you know the the gauzy figures that appeared a few times yeah. and one of course you probably know is father charbonneau and ed and sure. lorraine warren in the basement yeah um and you know ed ed said he saw horns on it and father charbonneau said no so you know no, that may have, no, I, that may have been from ed's you know uh ed's point of view with you know with demons yeah uh, um but uh the uh yeah the gregorian chant that he did was um he was reciting the the mass in latin including the responses and and he said himself that uh uh in the interviews that uh, he said well you know i i knew some latin he said i don't know how i remembered it all he wasn't saying it was supernatural matter of fact he although he wavered at times the family said over and over they don't believe in the supernatural at all yeah. yeah um but of course lack of explanation they started saying you know maybe it's the boy we had before that died maybe it's uh you know a spirit maybe it's whatever it is and yeah the, u- the usual suspect yeah right yeah what yeah. are you going to do you lack explanations he often said it was underground springs um mm. you know without knowing but i mean they went through a lot of trouble to get rid of these noises too i mean they went from gas to electric um, they had all sorts of inspectors come in the house. I mean, it was the things that they did. And you know, when you asked about what convinced you it's real, um, I, you know, their actions were the kind of actions that um, you know, as a magician, you you think of what would be the actions that you would take to really sell what you're doing. You know, and uh, their actions were so in depth and detailed to the point that if you were if you were doing a hoax, and you know we know it's not one, but if we were doing one, you wouldn't go to this level of detail. I'll give you one example. When Mar- you know, when this stuff was happening, Marcy goes to go to the bathroom. Jerry runs over there and says, "Leave the door open a little in case something happens." 
that's the kind of thing you don't think of if you're trying to pull something over on somebody. Yeah. That's something that you think of when you're really reacting to something, you know, happening. Mm. That's mm-hmm. true. Yeah, that's yeah. true. I remember that bathroom, too, because there was there were things constantly falling into the tub, you know, over the three-day period, you know. And yeah. it was um, uh, strange. I mean, I, first, I, I was amazed by the number of television sets in this house. I think every room had one, small as it was. And the uh, the number of, um, uh, I guess, bottles of whatever makeup or whatever you have that Mrs. Gooden had that was constantly falling into the tub. It was really <laughs> one, of, yeah. one of the things that stands out for me. Yeah, yeah, there was a lot happening. You know, the metal rod coming off uh, from the shower that was really right. Uh, I remember really that too. locked in there that came out and hit yeah. Marcy in the head. Um, well, when I got there on Sunday, uh, Mrs. Gooden uh, short, arrived shortly thereafter with uh, uh, from St. Vincent's Hospital with her toe um, dressed uh, because of the injury. Uh, the television, it's, uh, I believe it was a television, had fallen and broken her toe. And then, uh, sure enough, uh, you know, the, the following night, I was there with the girl in the kitchen, with Marcy in the kitchen, and the police officer at the table, I can't remember his name, I think he was a sergeant, and the, and Lorraine Warren and the, the two Goodens, and that television set went over and hit me in the leg and knocked the girl and I both across the kitchen, and it was a floor model television set, it didn't fall off any shelf, and I had noticed that the flowers were starting to move. They had plastic flowers on top. And Mr. Gooden, uh, Jerry, who apparently was an old hand at this now, was saying that, oh, so the, the television is going to go over. And Ben has a question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wanted to ask a really quick question. I guess this is sort of for both of you. Um, I actually, I don't know why I never thought of asking this before. Was, uh, is there ever, sorry, has there ever been any, like, slight inconsistencies with people's reports or, like, whether it's large or or little tiny like de- minute details, but I mean it seems like everything's pretty consistent. But you never know that there might be like some sort of strange little like flukes or whatever that happened. Well, Bill, you can take that one out. You know, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a very good question. Um, and and I diagrammed it out looking for the same thing as I listened to the interviews. There were two um, two two major ones. Well, actually three. Uh, one was inconsistencies in the police officer who who reported it a hoax, um, saying later some things happened that when he was interviewed he said he didn't know, hmm. but later on said, "Oh no, for sure, I, I caught her doing this, I caught this, I caught that." Uh, but in the interview, said, "You know, I, I honestly don't know." So that was one inconsistency. Uh, the other two are with the Gooden. Um, one was about the cat. Oh, Jerry, the cat. Yeah, Jerry swore the cat could talk, and later on he said it couldn't talk. And and really, um, what what I've concluded, and, and I don't discount that the meanie's lying about everything, but I think he felt really bad that he was taken at times by, by Marcy with the cat. Mm. Well, all right, the cat. I, uh, that was going to be my next question. Is, uh, do you have anything else, Ben, before no, you no, get that into was, the that, cat? That was, that was my big thing. And we come from a cat-fancying family, so I have nothing against cats. But this cat was um, supposedly able to talk, and Marcy, I, I could see very clearly that she would hold the cat next to her. And she, funny, she told me the cat was her only friend. And yeah. uh, she had been in that house uh, 
kept home from school because she had been picked on, bullied, as we'd call it today, uh, at school. And uh, she was, was the, the isolation is what made me suspicious too, because that, that things like this can tend to build up in that in that scenario. So the cat, she'd hold the cat close to her throat, and her, and then she would, she was making the, I wouldn't call her a ventriloquist, but she was on the way. But I could clearly see it was her making the noises. Uh, but Gooden told me, he swore that cat would be in the cellar, come up to the top of the stairs. He said the cat would pound on the door, yell, sometimes in French, and then, and then yell at him, let me out, you dirty rat. Yeah. That's a, that quote's a quote was from it, the, Was he a 1930s gangster? Well, well, like, what is well that, that, that's what I, 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 I jocularly told Jerry that maybe he was the, the, you know, had the possessed by the ghost of uh, Jimmy Cagney, but uh, he didn't find that very amusing. I would. Well, there was uh, there were three incidents, and I'll give you my theory on it. But there were three incidents where there was audio. Uh, I don't want to say talking cat. I don't believe the cat talked. No, nor do I. Right, but there were audio phenomena. Uh, not yes. There were footsteps. There was a triple knock that you know about. Sure. And there were also these uh, these vocal sounds. And these vocal sounds were heard when Marcy was not around. So mm-hmm. one time, Father Charbonneau was in the basement, and uh, Marcy was upstairs talking uh, to Mom and Dad. Uh, and the other two times a phenomenon occurred, Marcy was not around. It was audio phenomenon. Now, I'm a ventriloquist, by the way. So, oh, okay. Huh. So one of the methods, uh, really the, the psychology behind throwing the voice is you can't really throw your voice but people hear a voice and then they associate it with whatever is the closest to it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. for, so for example, if you know the cat's in the basement and you hear a sound, you say the cat's talking. I don't believe the cat's talking, but I do believe there was there at least appears to be from multiple witnesses audio phenomena. Yes, so like definite pro- possibility. So like the proximity effect almost. Exactly right. Exactly. Ben is a sound expert. As I'm not an expert. I'm. I. I am just You're a sound. Studying to be an expert. No. Well, sort of. I. My major is audio production and sound design. So yeah, I know. I know a little bit about it. Well, right, and our ears are very bad at directions and all the other yeah, things. You know. Yes, yeah. they are. <laughs> really bad. Well, I remember I was in the room when one of the three knocks occurred. That was in that, that very kitchen where the television was flying around. Uh, there was that, and I believe I mentioned Lorraine Warren's burn. Yeah. Uh, was sitting at the table, and uh, she was, um, as, as Ed described it, a, a, a deep, uh, I should say, a light trance medium. And this, I, I was sitting there watching, and her hand, she went, ooh, and a second-degree burn appeared on, on her hand. Right in front of us, there was a policeman witness to that as well. And uh, Ed wanted her out of the house. He was genuinely concerned because he thought, you know, spontaneous human combustion could turn in, into. We've never done a show on that. We should could could occur here. So it was. Uh, there were things happening all the time. Uh, I did not hear any voices or anything. However, I, I have been in cases where that has occurred, and of course, one is always very familiar with the. Uh, electronic voice phenomena that is so popular today and for which mm. there are many, many explanations. But um, in a place where you've got what we believe are world overlaps going on, anything can happen and usually does. Uh, let me ask you this. Is, is there an opinion about when the physical phenomena occurred, particularly the refrigerator, is there an opinion among the people you've interviewed that this is was done by, quote, 
the ghost or the poltergeist or was simply a byproduct of the energies that were involved? Maybe you didn't get that uh, um, involved in your... It's, uh, Boyce, uh, God love him, he asked everything. I'm uh, sure. He, yeah. he asked every, everybody what their opinion was on the phenomena. And and some people had no opinion. You know, it didn't change my life at all. You know, not a big deal. You know, other people were like, oh, my God, it's life-changing. Mm. Um, you know, some people said poltergeist. Some people said uh, spirit. Other people said they don't know. Yeah. You know, other people said it could be some sort of natural energy or fault line or something. And, of course, they researched all that and discounted it. But, you know, in lack of knowing what else to say, uh, people had uh, varying opinions. Just to backtrack just for a second, interestingly enough, the burn situation. Yeah. I have that actually happening on tape. You do? Yeah. <laughs> Who recorded it? I don't know. <laughs> I didn't know anybody had a recorder going, unless it was the police officer. Yeah, I don't know. But well, that's why you live and learn, I'll tell you. Mm. Actual burn happening, uh, I have on tape. Uh, no kid, I'd love to hear that sometime. We, we have to get together. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I'd love Well, Well, uh, Bill, before we burn up the hour here, which we've done, this is the quickest hour in a while, um, tell us about the book, where you are, and when, when it'll be coming out, or do you know yet, and, and what the next steps might be. Mm. And then your yes. website, etc. Yes, it is. Uh, the book is due out in the uh, fall catalog, uh, so release uh, tentatively uh, September. Could be earlier. I, you know, I don't know, but I'm, I'm figuring September, uh, which makes sense because you know publisher would want to have it out there for Halloween and you know. No, of Christmas. course, yeah. And who's um, the publisher? Uh, new Page Books. Oh, New Page Books, good. Yeah, very uh, reputable. Yeah, Stan Friedman and a lot of friends of ours published with that, yeah. Yeah, I love Stan. He's one of my idols, but that's a different show. Yeah. But, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, he's uh, a lot of similarities, of course, no matter what you're investigating to what Stan says. Um, and, and I love the, the belief by uh, uh, proclamation. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's it. Yeah, yeah. And, and but what well, we saw Stan a few weeks ago at the Lemonster uh, UFO conference uh, here. But we were um, interested too in uh, maybe just uh, touching on the subject at the end of the show here about the uh, a sort of pan paranormal perspective, so to speak. Uh, it's becoming popular in the UFO community now. Not popular, but accepted to look at the uh, bigger picture that might involve poltergeist activity. Uh, UFOs, even cryptids, things of this kind, as perhaps being related in that they might be, ha, there might be the same process behind them, uh, the same process of uh, you know quantum physics or whatever. Um, so, hence my question to you: Had you found uh, what we find very often that this was not the only house affected, and that uh, there were other things perhaps going on? And you mentioned uh, in passing, I think that you had found two other homes, if I'm not yes. mistaken. Yes, two other homes, and and I'll be interviewing uh, both those families too. Okay. Um, and Ed, Ed Warren also uh, backs that up because he had mentioned it in his uh, overview as he's passing the the case on to to Boyce and and uh, hmm. Jerry. And Keith, uh, so yeah, two other houses uh, that that we know of, and um, there could have been more, but that's uh, that's that's what I've heard. Sure, uh, I, I think the uh, you know there, I think the electromagnetic and the ep epilepsy um, 
commonality that some have theorized is is very interesting again centering around you know energy being a conduit for these things but i you know i i love what you say paul which is you know we assume a lot of these things and uh our labels are very primitive mm. you know if it's good it's an angel if it's bad it's a devil you know if it uh, if it attacks something uh, religious uh then it's a demon you know and those are very wide uh reaching assumptions you know if 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 an alien visitor comes here then uh, they brought their president, and he wants to talk to us. <laughs> you know, <laughs> we can yeah, you know, take me to your leader. Yeah, our president going on, you know, on these uh, in in our uh, space program. So, but it's uh, it's very interesting all the different assumptions we have, and of course they all they all are centered around us being the center. <laughs> sure, yeah, that's true. right. Unusual, that's true. right? <laughs> oh, sure, uh, exactly. Well, <laughs> yeah, we have our own framework of thinking and our yeah. own paradigm, and that isn't necessarily in. Um, I suppose well, when uh, you really... take thing, when you take us out of our own paradigm, that's when things start to get scary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Uh, one very interesting thing hit me. Uh, one of the police officers that said it was a hoax. He he said, and this is an amazing quote. He said, "This thing is as phony as a three dollar bill will ever be." <laughs> and I I thought that was amazing because, of course, years later, three dollar bills came out, and it was oh, a good right. example of. Not knowing about something in one time period doesn't mean that you know it, it doesn't exist or not, not exactly. going. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Very true. Okay, Bill Hall. Excellent conversation. We'll be uh, continuing it on future shows, I'm sure, as we, as we go. Mm. And uh, I'll be in touch off the air. But thank you so much for a fascinating conversation. And we're uh, just about out of time. We're going to move on to our announcements. And uh, Bill, it's been great. Thank you again. Oh, thank you. That's uh, amazing. I didn't touch so much stuff, so I'm glad. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll have you back because it's the tip of the iceberg. Indeed here. it is. All, All right. Thank you. Okay, Go everybody. Bill Hall. All right. Okay. So, Ben, take it away. Alrighty. So you can visit our show website, BehindTheParanormal.com, where you can find over 500 free podcasts of all of our past shows. And you can also check out our site at www.NewEnglandGhosts.com, where there are case studies and photos along with articles by my dad. And find my books on Barnes & Noble e-reader and Amazon Kindle. Uh, that includes Faces at the Window, which is the book in which I write about this case. Uh, but if you buy them directly at BehindTheParanormal.com, I'll sign them for you, and you will help keep help us keep those podcasts free. Also on our sites, uh, you'll find direct links to the several charities Ben and I uh, have mentioned and uh, that are mentioned on the site, USA Cares and Canadian Veterans Advocacy included. On our CBS radio edition of the show on Sunday, December 15th in Boston, Pittsburgh, Detroit, Windsor, and Seattle, Vancouver, we will have an open line show. Uh, that may change, but as far as we we know, it's going to be an open line show at this point. And next Monday, December 16th, right here on WON1240 and ONWorldwide.com, we will, we will probably have another open line show as well, unless something yeah, happens. Yeah, things about. are in flux right now with several guests. Indeed. So we leave you this evening with a quote from Mother Teresa. We need to find God, and he cannot be found in noise and restlessness. God is the friend of silence. I'm Ben Eno. And I'm Paul Eno. Thanks for joining us on our great cosmic journey. We'll see you next time. Return to this radio frequency 167 hours from now for another edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno.